Welcome, and thank you for listening today. This Caregiver Life podcast focuses on caregivers from all walks of life. Throughout the episode, we will hear from caregivers on the front line, those who do the day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour caregiving. We will also hear from care recipients, professionals in the field of caregiving, and other various topics of interest to those living this caregiver life. Welcome to another episode of This Caregiver Life. I have a podcast with a guest today, but not my co-host, Jennifer. Jennifer is out doing some other things today. And actually, I think she's doing an interview in Jacksonville, Florida, um, about respite care for her job with the Wounded Warrior Project, which is pretty cool. We just did a pot, our last podcast is about respite care and reconnecting with ourselves and then again with each other on the podcast. And today my guest is Mandy Bailey. That's your last name? And Mandy, will you tell us a little something about yourself? So my name is Mandy Bailey. I am from beautiful Northwest Florida, Gulf Breeze to be exact. Um, And I got thrust into this world kind of unexpectedly. Uh, My background is I am a teacher. I teach reading, math, kindergarten through high school and everything in between. So I don't have a caregiver background, but I was really thrust into this world when my stepdad was diagnosed with ALS. Um, It was, let's see, back November is when we first started seeing a little bit of a change in him. Um, And then he went to the doctor and was diagnosed with ALS. Gosh, it was in late or mid-2018 that he was actually diagnosed, but we started seeing symptoms before that. And that's kind of how I got into this whole world. Wow, that was a very, you know, it's only 20, it's 2020, August 2020. Um, And I know that he's now, he's now died from complications of ALS. And that was a very fast progression for him. And I should just back up a second here for our listeners. Manny and I know each other through um, dedicating volunteer time with an organization called IMALS. And Mandy, you're more involved than I am. You're on another committee as well, but we're on the veterans committee. And so we lend our voice to that and our advocacy for that. And that's really grown tremendously. And the whole idea is to pull all of our efforts together, no matter which walk of life we come from, toward a cure for ALS. Because we had a cure for ALS, I wouldn't be a caregiver. Exactly. Uh, at least not from that perspective, I wouldn't be a caregiver. So, um, so that's how Manny and I know each other. But so, so your, um, your stepdad, mm-hmm. um, what kind, did you have a good relationship with him? You know, it's interesting. Um, my parents divorced when I was in like freshman year of high school. And then all of a sudden there's this fast talking guy coming into our lives to try and I felt at that point take over my dad's place. And I was not on board with him at all at first. Um, We fought, we are both probably more alike than we realized at that point. So we did not get along. And then suddenly one morning, I don't know what it was. And I even wrote this in a letter to my stepdad uh, right before he passed that I don't know what changed one morning, but I walked into the kitchen and he was in there making breakfast, his little 
Bisquick drop biscuits that he would make every single weekend for us. And something changed. And from that moment on, he was my best friend. We were insanely, insanely close. Um, there's nobody else in the world that I would have called to help me, protect me, guide me, and to give advice to me. Uh, even after my real dad passed away, he was very careful with how he took over that father position in my life, that he really was not a stepdad, he was my father. He was that person to me for so long. So we were, we were very close up until his very last day. And what is your stepdad's name? His name is Fred Drinkwater. And we had a saying in our family that we don't need anything, we've got a Fred, because no matter what we needed, he would fix it. He was just our Fred. Wow, that's beautiful though. So, so you've really felt the impact of ALS from the very beginning, from those first, that first time you hear those three letters yeah. until the very end. And the, the, those, hearing those three letters, unless you've heard them, are so hard to describe to people what, like the dagger in your heart. Yes, and I'll never forget the first time my mom said those words to me after they came back from a VA conference, I think in Biloxi is where they had to go for this one. Um, and she said, well, they think it's ALS. And I didn't know. And so I was like, oh, okay, let's get a prescription. Let's get a plan. We've got this. He's tough. He's Fred. There's nothing he can't beat. And then I did a quick Google as soon as I hung up the phone with my mom and my world crashed at that moment in time. And I I remember sitting in my office, staring at my phone in my hands and seeing those words 100% fatal. It broke our world. Well, that's such a good way of putting it. It broke our world. I, I think, um, and, and I think sometimes we know that it's coming. We know that that diagnosis is coming. That we knew that that diagnosis was coming. And because we were on a long journey for, because he's so slow in his progression, that we just knew, didn't even have to tell us he had ALS, but when you told us he had ALS, it was just heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. And I knew, I knew from the first moment that I saw the symptoms that this isn't gonna be something normal, but I had no idea. And our first sign to me, was seeing him sitting in his kitchen with my daughter and he was trying to turn the page of a book and his thumb wouldn't work right. He couldn't grip the page of a book to turn it. He had to muscle it over with the palm of his hand. And I, I remember thinking, that's not something that's normal. This is something way deeper than we're all thinking. And then from that point, it was about six months before they were able to definitively say, yes, it is ALS. But we knew, we knew it was something really big and bad. Mm -hmm. How old was he? He, gosh, he had just turned 60 a couple of years before. So he was still pretty young. Um, my stepdad was a landscaper, so he was out doing, you know, hard manual labor in the Florida sun. And, and it didn't bother him climbing trees. He was a human monkey, practically, you know. He could scale a tree like nobody's business until he couldn't. 
And then all of a sudden, boom, it just hit. Wow, and so we know that our uh, military service members are more than twice as likely to get ALS than non-military members and veterans. Um, and so that's where your, your stepdad fell into, along with my husband, Tom. We, we think we know, and I say we think because it's just our best guess estimate from things that we've read, that there are about 4,500 veterans at any given time um, living or dying with ALS. However, however you feel best saying that, sometimes I feel like we're dying with ALS, but most days I think we live with ALS. So um, mm -hmm. I think it's easier to get through your days when you feel like you're living with a terminal disease rather than dying with it. But we all know we are dying from ALS when we get it. Exactly. And we have, you know, our suspicions, the doctors that we met with through our local VA had their suspicions. They all kind of attribute it to Agent Orange exposure um, from when he served. But again, there's so many things that could have come into play that there's just no telling for sure. Yeah, they don't know. They can't possibly know, because if they knew, that would be remarkable, right? If they we give us some insight into what happened, but ALS is not on the list of the Agent Orange um, conditions that that uh, are compensated for. So that's I feel like they just throw that out because they don't really know what else to say. It's a, it's a tough it's a tough um, profession I think when when um, healthcare professionals focus in on neurological diseases that have no cure like alzheimer's and parkinson's ms you know that kind of thing so they try to they try to give us some hope you know so what was mm -hmm. you really were the secondary caregiver your mom was a primary caregiver um i would say our my daughter is the secondary caregiver she doesn't live with us but she certainly could step in if she had to um what was that like for your mom Oh, it was hard. Um, the caregiving experience has, I think, fundamentally changed who she is as a person. Um, she, before ALS and having to take on all of those responsibilities, she was a light, fun, happy person. You know, she did a lot of the, the babysitting and taking care of children for me when we would need her, along with my stepdad, of course. Um, and then afterwards, she still takes care of my children, but now a lot of that light that she had, it's lost. And some days she has a little bit more of it back, but there's a lot of that that she is still struggling to get back to. And it's been some time since his passing, but it's a struggle to still adjust to the fact that we went through this really and I, for lack of better terms, quick and dirty trauma because it happened so quick. It was 12 months from symptom onset to when he passed. Um, so it was very quick and dirty and she's still struggling to try and get back to where she was before. Um, you know, being able to sleep at night, being able to function and live independently without him because he was such a big part of her life. So it's, it's taken a lot of who she was from her. And, you know, we're still struggling to get that back even after all this time. So do you feel like you're kind of a caregiver for your mom right now? I do, I really do. And, you know, it's one of those things that as her daughter, 
I would step up and do anytime, any, any day that she needs me, I'm going to be right there next to her because I saw exactly what she went through and how rough and how hard it really was on her. Um, but I have, I feel like I have kind of had to step up and remind her that, you know, you still have to live your life. You still have to be a person. You still need to look for ways to find your joy and find your light again. And this is going to sound selfish, but I still need my mom too. I'm a grown woman. I've got two kids of my own, but I need my mom too. And I have had to help kind of bring that back out in her. And that's, that's been a really tough balance for both of us. Me trying to give her the leeway that she needs to do that and feel the feelings that she needs to feel. But also a reminder, you still need to be this person. You've got to find a way to get back to who you were before. And it's, it's hard. And I know my kids see that too. And it's hard for them because I think they, even though I don't think they have words to describe it or understand it, I think they miss the grandmother that they had before too. And they may not totally get her back. They may get a different form of who she is. So they, the grieving aspect is really what we're getting at here. It's so, it's so traumatic, the grieving. You grieve when you find out that somebody has a terminal disease because it's anticipatory. You're, anticip you're anticipating their death and all the things that you have to do and have we done enough of all the things that we should have done together? And what are the things that I need to do to get ready for this impending death? And what does it look like for me as a caregiver? How much care do, how much hands-on care do I need to, to give, which is a big part of it. And the older we get, the more challenging that care can be on us physically as well and emotionally, because maybe we're close to retirement. So what did retirement look for your mom? and her husband that she's now not gonna have. There's so many layers of grief. And then, and then he dies. So now you have the grief that he's actually physically no longer there with her. That's a lot of different kinds of grief stuffed into her right now. And yeah. I don't know that you really can sort it all out except for to give her time without letting her drop so far down that you can't get her back. Yes, and that to me was a very big concern for probably the first year afterwards because she did, she dropped so far down and she lost so much of herself and her identity wasn't Susan, vibrant, full of life, person who loves everybody, helpful, friendly, open, bright person. It was, I'm stuck in this dark pit of now what do I do where do I go how do I make sense of this new reality because it went so fast she never really had time to adjust to each change because every single day something was happening something was changing um, and there was another explosion their trauma that she had to deal with at that moment so when everything suddenly crash came to a stop she had no clue how to process or handle any of that because she had just spent so much time treading water to get through life every day. So it was pretty traumatic come down for her from all of that. I can imagine. And uh, so if we, we talk a little bit about 
ALS and what that looks like, right? So if we're, if we weren't doing a podcast, we could show you a photo, right? Of somebody mm-hmm. who's paralyzed with ALS. But what we want our listeners to understand, and those of you who are listening who are caregivers of ALS know we see you. You have to dress somebody because you become paralyzed. That's what ALS does. Fully paralyzed eventually if you live long enough to be paralyzed. So we have to dress you. We have to help you um, clean the person if they have a bowel movement. We have to help them urinate, um, take showers, move them with lifts, dress them. Just the morning routine alone could take three hours. And you haven't done anything for yourself yet, except for maybe hopefully you've gone to the bathroom and brushed your teeth. So it's kind of like, you know, remember being in the classroom as a teacher, because I was a teacher too, when, oh my God, you could hold that pee for hours, right? Right. That's the kind of caregiving we're doing. We're, we're, we're giving all of our time to caring for an adult. Not, it's not a child anymore. It's not like we have babies but it's like you're caring for a baby. It's a tremendous load kind of caregiving. And it can be so sad for both of you, especially when it's going fast. Now we've had the complete opposite on time. We've had a lot of time and I'll, and I'll always be grateful for the time. I will say having this much time, there's always a sense of impending doom. And that's yeah. a lot to live with for a lot of years. A lot of stressful as a caregiver. You're very stagnant in your life and what it is you can do and move forward and take one step forward and you got two steps back and your own per- my own personal ambitions as a person. So it's a lot of different layers and every, you know, if you know one person with ALS, you know one person with ALS. But yeah. in general, it's big time caregiving. Huge, huge investment. I mean, my mom's always been a very nurturing person. She's always cared for her family the best that she can and done an amazing job. But this is a, a whole new level, you know? And I know family friends that didn't quite understand the scope of what she did for him and how she had to rearrange her whole life. Um, one of our family friends that we've known for years, love him dearly. And he, he said it all clicked into place for him when he had to ask my mom to scratch his nose. Uh, The friend just didn't quite understand. He can't do anything at this point. He is completely trapped. He can look around and be present, but that's about it. And the fact that he needed help just to scratch an itch blew his mind. And all I could think of is, man, if he only knew the depths of what we've got to go through to make a single day, a single thing happen, just getting out of the house and getting a breath of fresh air sometimes, mm-hmm. it's a monumental task. And you no longer have a partner who um, can't get you things anymore, can do a little TLC yeah. to you. So you, you tend to miss that, you know? He can give it to you in words, but he can no longer do the things that he used to do for his spouse. And maybe she doesn't feel that. Maybe your mom doesn't feel that right away, but maybe she feels it now. Maybe she misses mm-hmm that she doesn't have that. The other day when you and I were talking, we were in our IMALS meeting. Um, We're we're gonna wrap up our podcast in just a few minutes here. But I I wanna end it um, with you sharing the story of what it looks like the day somebody is living with ALS. What does it look like environmentally, which then affects you emotionally? And then what does it look like the next day or a few days later? Can you describe that? So if we're going to show pictures, what does that look like? For the day of, in the life of ALS? 
Yeah. So for my mom, it would have been waking up ridiculously early to try and get herself that five minutes of a sip of coffee to take a breath and just try to mentally prepare herself for what was going to happen that day. Um, she would get him up, you know, bathroom. She had to sit there right next to him because he couldn't hold his own body up. So she had to sit there with him no matter how long it took and be as patient as she could because my stepdad was a very prideful man also and did not like to have to rely on other people. So it made it a little bit tricky for her. bathroom responsibilities, feeding him and he resisted the feeding tube as long as he could. And so there were a lot of choking episodes, um, caregiving episodes as far as being able to find what he can eat, how he can eat it, and making sure that he got the proper nutrition. And then my mom would come over actually to my house and we would spend some hours together, my stepdad, my mom, and me just sitting here and trying to fill the time with nervous conversation to make it as normal as possible because he couldn't speak and we didn't want him to ever feel like he was being left out of the group. So we would try to include him with conversation even though he couldn't even respond to us. Um, my mom insisted on still taking care of my children while I was at work because it gave her a sense of normalcy and it allowed my stepdad to see his grandbabies who were his you know, his world. So they would spend a lot of time there. And then at the end of the night, my husband had a routine where he would help load them up in their van, you know, pushing the wheelchair, getting Fred loaded up. Um, and then they would go home and start the hours long routine before bed, you know, making sure you had dinner, a shower. Are you comfortable? How do we need to position you tonight? And then after he passed, it was such a stark contrast because my mom's day was filled with so many routines and schedules and equipment changes and this, that, or the other that she had to get done to care for him. But then afterwards, it was, it was a room of equipment and she didn't know what to do with herself. And there were so many times where I would go over and visit her to check in with her while she was taking some time to kind of get herself grounded again and we would just walk through the room and she would say well I don't know what I'm going to do with this stuff I'm just not sure what to do I guess I just need to give it to somebody else who needs it but it was her wandering around in this room full of empty equipment that she had spent so many days and months you know working with they gave us life they gave us the ability to get out and do things and now it was just a reminder of everything that she had been through and it was a hard hard transition really hard for her so super busy and then not busy at all yeah and yeah. that's not something that she adjusted to very well and it took a lot of speed bumps but she's finally i think starting to get back to a normal pace and trying to find different ways to fill her time. Well, that's good. And we'll keep her in our thoughts and send her positive vibes that she, she can mm -hmm. find some more of her happies in life, you know? Yeah. And he would want her to, I think. He would. He was a happy person. That's what he would have wanted. So, so let's end the podcast 
I said we were going to end it with that story, but I have one more idea that I think would be a great way to wrap this up. Let's give our listeners a call to action. What can mm-hmm. our listeners do? Caregivers of um, people who have ALS, um, just family and friends who have known somebody who has had ALS, who's listened to our stories and never knew anybody with ALS but would like to help. Uh, what's a call to action? Um, what can what can listeners do? And I will share this in our notes, our description of the podcast, where people can find the links. So there's there's two acts that are specific for veterans that will assist caregivers. Um, well, the, yeah, there's two. There's one for the widows, uh, widow and widower, um, to increase what they receive in compensation when their service-connected veteran passes. There's one specifically with the VA for um, justice for ALS to change the inequity in terms of time for survivors of veterans with ALS. We can share those links. Um, And then there's another one called Pathways. Can you explain that one? That's non-veteran. And that's going to be the Promising Pathways Act. And what that's going to do is it's going to allow us to open more pathways to these promising treatments that are out there. Because there are treatments, trials, um, opportunities that are out there for not only for us to learn more about ALS and how these treatments can help us, but for those treatments to potentially get to the patients. And of course, they're still going to have to prove that they're safe for humans, that they've had some kind of success in their trials. But with this bill, it's going to put a little bit of a a more direct pathway to the drugs to getting to the patients. And that's something that we need because there's a lot of hurdles right now in getting access to these treatments. ALS is already 100% fatal. So if we can give our community every fighting chance, it's worth it. It can't do anything to us that's not already happening. We're facing the worst of the worst right now. So let's take matters into our own hands. And if we feel like we're willing to take that risk, let's open up those doors and let's make this happen because we never know where that breakthrough is going to come. We never know when that one promising treatment can go from just promising treatment to breaking open this whole world of cures and treatments for ALS, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS, a whole world of things. If we can just try to get these out there to the people that need them a little bit easier. And quicker. So we have... So we should also say that with a diagnosis of ALS, not only is it terminal, mm-hmm. but the lifespan is known to be two to five years with outliers. So we have some people who will be diagnosed and pass away sooner than those two years, and then we have others that will extend and live beyond five years. But the mm-hmm. bulk, many, many people have two to five years. So they don't have a lot of time to wait for really long studies that are being done. They need action now. So that's our call to action. If you're interested in helping us at all, I will put those in the notes and we will um, guide you to how you can contact your legislators in Washington, DC to help us get treatments quicker for people with 
terminal neurological diseases like ALS or things like MS, which are long-term devastating, can be devastating diseases as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, so thank you so much for being on uh, this Caregiver Life. For people who have questions about this episode or any episode, they can contact us at thiscaregiverlife at gmail.com. Um, we'd be happy to hear you from you. If you'd like to share your story, we would love to hear your story. You can, you can write it to us and we will read it on air. You can send us an little audio clip if you'd like to, and we'll play that on air as well. If you'd like to be a guest like Mandy is, we would, we would love that as well. We are the heart of Caregiver Stories on This Caregiver Life. You can follow us on our Facebook page at This Caregiver Life, or on Twitter as Caregiver Life, and Instagram at This Caregiver Life on Instagram. So we would love to hear from our caregivers and, um, and have you share our story and hope that this particular one has made you feel like we see you. Thank you so much for having me today, Mary. Oh, thanks for being on. Till the next time. Mm -hmm.